Well, good morning, church. Well, I have been thinking about it. Um, I have been praying about it, and I was discerning when the right time to share this news with you. And after thinking about it a while, I think the time has come for me to share. You ready for it? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Christmas time has come. It is right for me to share Merry Christmas at this time. Here in Shelton, even though life has been difficult this year, nonetheless, Christmas season has come. So we will celebrate that together. From this Sunday, as Jake mentioned, we are launching into our new sermon series based on very Advent text. We will look at the birth narrative of our Savior, dear Lord Jesus Christ. And the theme is fear not, don't be afraid. At the appearing of angel, at the appearing of potentially the best news that, that our Savior is coming to redeem us. Those recipients of the news, their reaction was fear, terror. We are not used to with the sudden changes. We are not used to with uncertainties. Our reaction, we would be no different, often is fear of this great news. But what is the great cure for our fear? We will study that from today's text. So for the next five Sundays, we will take a look at the birth narrative of our Lord Jesus from the point of view of Joseph, Mary, Magi, Shepherd, and then we will dive into Jesus Christ, what he came to do, what he's all about. So I pray that Emmanuel, God with us, his very presence will cure our chronic fear this morning. Also, I want to extend my special welcome to those who are watching live stream and those who are here who are considering the case of Christianity, who are considering, who are on the verge of trusting Jesus Christ and yet have not made that decision yet. I ask you to tune in with us, especially for the next five Sundays, because the very text that we are about to look at is the foundational text about what we believe. How Jesus was born, why he came, what he came to do. The incarnate son of God who was born to bleed, lived, and then eventually he was hung on the cross. That very foundational text will be our very Advent text. So I pray that the Lord will find you, that you will be found and that your hearts will be open to the gospel truth. That being said, so the very text that Earl read for us as he was reading Advent reading will be our very preaching text. So Advent reading will be our preaching text. So we've read our text. So let me dive in. Simple two points in today's sermon. Point number one, the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. Point number two, the cure for our chronic fear. Point number one, the cost of discipleship. When I say discipleship, I mean the cost of following Christ, the cost of following God's will. It's the cost of discipleship and the cure for our fear. So first, the cost of discipleship. Let me read once again from verse 18 to 21. But as I read, there is so much packed in this text so I elaborate all the details as I go along. So bear with me. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
from the very beginning. If you look at the first half of Matthew chapter 1, there is that section where all of us often skip when we do the Bible reading. Who beget who? Who beget who? It's the ancestor line of our Lord Jesus Christ, the genealogies. But Charlton, believe it or not, on one Sunday, I preached an entire sermon on the first half of Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to do that this morning, but there's so much truth in that. After Matthew walked through the genealogy line of Jesus, after the busy, busy, busy line, now he's taking a big pause. Now, let me take a time and explain the birth of Jesus Messiah came about. The Jesus the Messiah, that's how it's translated here in our NIV translation. Majority of translations will translate that Jesus Christ. Why is that? It's the same word, Jesus Christus. Jesus Christ is the word, but perhaps NIV chose to do that because in Hebrew, this word is Yeshua HaMashiach. What does that mean? Jesus is the Hellenized, Greeknized word of Hebrew word, Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua, Yeshua, becomes Jesus here. Yeshua means Ye means the Lord. Shua means saves. Hamashiach, the chosen one. The chosen one, our Lord, came to save us. In Jewish culture, name is not just Jin. It, it's Jin. That's my name. But in, at that time, name means their identity, very purpose of who they are. So it's not like Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. No, Jesus Christ, the very one our Lord has come, the anointed, the chosen one has come to save us. The Matthew writes the very identity of who Jesus is from the beginning. Keep going. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pledged, some older translation puts it betrothed. It means they are engaged simply to be married. But back then, yes, you could still break off engagement. But back then in this Jewish culture, engagement, betrothment, pledged to be married, was much bigger deal than nowadays. Husband and wife will live apart for about an, about an year, but then after an year, the wife will move in with the husband. But already that engagement was so binding that they were already called husband and wife. Only thing that set them away from real marriage is that they have not exercised physical consummation of the marriage yet. Apart from that, look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, he's already called as a husband. It was that much binding covenant. Keep going to verse 18. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know that. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, verse 19, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What is going on here? Here it says that Joseph was a faithful to the law. He was righteous man, upright man. But why in the world did he want to divorce Mary? Quietly. That's the righteous thing to do? At the time of Jewish culture, once again, if you read Deuteronomy 22, there is a Jewish law that says that if man and woman were betrothed, engaged, and yet she's been unfaithful, I mean, how in the world Joseph would know that Mary has been pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Joseph does not know that. So what's Joseph thinking? Mary, you've been cheating on me. What have you done? 
So all Joseph wants to do is just divorce quietly. Why? That's a more righteous thing to do because in Deuteronomy 22, it says that if man and woman are engaged, but she has not been faithful to you, then the woman was supposed to be stoned. Although by this time, Romans culture, Romans law prohibited that to happen. Nonetheless, Jewish practice continued in many areas. So Joseph could have. But none of that, Joseph was an upright man. He did not want to shame Mary. I'm just going to divorce quietly. That's what Joseph decides to do. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, might as well, it's better to say after he made up his mind, after he resolved to do this, to do this just divorce quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. couple things. We are not here talking about insemination or anything like that. There was no such thing back then. This is one time, virgin conception, the greatest, one of the greatest miracles you can imagine, the virgin birth happened. So now in Joseph's mind, it's been cleared. Oh, Mary has not been unfaithful to me. So I got nothing to be afraid. Is that what Joseph's thinking? No. Think with me, church. Now, at least in Joseph's mind, he knows that he, Mary has been pregnant by the Holy Spirit. First, what would you think? If I were Joseph, I'm like, was it really God's word? Let me dream one more time. Let me sleep next night. How do I know it's just not me dreaming or is it really angel of the Lord? I'd be wondering that. But Joseph was much more trustworthy and righteous man before God than me. What happens in verse 24? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph does exactly as the angel of the Lord commanded. Joseph trusts the very word of God. Second, your angel tells Joseph to don't be afraid. So now that Joseph knows that Mary has not been cheating on him, Joseph got nothing to be afraid? No, not at all. Why is that? Joseph still got lots to be afraid. First, so Joseph knows that now Mary has been pregnant by, by the Holy Spirit. So he knows that Mary has not been unfaithful. But if Joseph marries her and she's pregnant still, what is his friends going to think? Oh, Joseph, you're an upright man. But before even you guys are actually married during your engagement vow, she's pregnant already. You're being promiscuous. You're having premarital sex here. What's going on? It still takes great faith. In a sense, it's easier for Joseph to divorce Mary. Why? Then Joseph simply just throwing Mary under the bus. Then people, Joseph's friends are going to think, oh, Joseph's divorcing Mary because she's being just unfaithful to him. But if Joseph marries Mary, then people are going to think, hey, you guys are engaged. You guys are not married yet. What's going on? It cost his own reputation to be obedient. So angel of the Lord still comes, hey, Joseph, let you know, don't be afraid. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Point number one, the cost of discipleship, the cost of following God's will. First, yes, Joseph still obeys the Lord and chooses to marry her. That means it's going to cost his own reputation. He'll not have to endure disdain from the world. What does verse 19 say? Joseph was an upright man, righteous man. 
But what are people going to think of him right now? What have you done, Joseph? You are an upright man. How could you? Now Joseph has to endure disdain from the world simply by obeying the will of God. Because nobody will understand what this virgin conception is all about. Angels not going to appear to every single friend of Joseph. Tell them what just happened. He has to endure disdain from the world. Not only that. Look verse 21. What does it say? And you are to give him the name Jesus. Why is that significant? In Jewish culture, one of the greatest privileges as a father is their naming right. They get to name their children. In Bible, as we talked about Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, name meant much more deal than you can imagine. That's who they are. That's how they live their life. That was, in a sense, purpose of who they are. I mean, just let me give you one example. The name Jacob, man, heel grapper, the wrestler. Look at Jacob's life. He fought everywhere he went. He deceived his father, deceived his brother, lived a runaway life and wrestled with God. The very name, Jacob, wrestled. That was his life. He wrestled all his life. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Was God too busy that God tells Adam, Adam, name all the animals. I am too busy. No, God is giving the glorious privilege, power, and right to Adam to exercise dominion and that right. It was an incredible privilege that the fathers treasured. But now Joseph gets none of that. Angel tell him, hey, you don't get to name the child. Name the child Jesus. Joseph is simply a lame duck. Just following the will of God. It costs his reputation, disdain from the world. Just following will of God, he loses all his privilege and power of naming right. Not only that, when you look at Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus' birth, now Herod wants to kill Jesus. Now Joseph has to leave his home country and go to Egypt. Has to leave all the wealth and all the comfort of the home that he has built up and to flee to save his own life and Jesus' life. Simply following the will of God, the cost of discipleship for Joseph was his reputation, was his power and privilege, was his wealth and comfort of a home that all he had to build up. All because he was simply obedient to the will of God today. Church, does it cost you to follow Jesus Christ at all? Or are you comfortable with just a suburban Christianity today? And let me talk to you, those who are watching live stream, those who are considering Christianity, it costs to follow Jesus. I'm not making a good sales pitch here, right? I should say, yeah, come to Jesus and he'll give you all the blessing, all the promise, all the greatness. No, following Jesus will cost you. In the end, that's the core identity of who we are. It costs Joseph everything. But think with me, what about our Lord, Jesus the Messiah? C.S. Lewis calls how Jesus exists in ultimate inner circle. That's how he calls triune God. Human, we have desire to fit into the inner circle. What do I mean by that? Don't you want to be in the cool kids club, hanging out with all the cool people? Don't you want to be associated among those high society class members? Don't you have a little envy when you get in the airplane? It's been a while because of COVID. But when you get in the airplane, you go back to your economy seats. And you see those first-class business class people and you think, man, only if I fit in this class of people. We have inner desire to be in that inner circle. Yes, C.S. Lewis calls that our triune God, Jesus Christ, existed in ultimate inner circle. Yet, what is this incarnation all about? 
the perfect triune God, all we knew was a complete inner circle, stepped out of his glory and became a helpless babe. Have you seen a newborn baby? Complete dependent. They cannot live on their own. The mighty God, just think about Old Testament, how Jesus Christ used to appear in a rushing wind, a mighty storm, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, the mightiest of the nature. Now in New Testament, comes as a helpless, helpless babe. God becomes man. It cost Jesus everything to be born as a helpless babe. J.I. Packer, who recently passed away, one of the great theologians and a pastor of our days, this is what he wrote in his book, Knowing God, regarding incarnation of Jesus. In the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depth of the Christian revelation lie, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. And church, this is not the end. Jesus came as the weakest of the weak. It cost him everything to be made Lord and the angel. And he was born like that and he died like that. Stripped naked without anything, with complete shame. Died as the weakest of the weak. In other words, following will of God costed Jesus everything. What about us today? What does it cost to you and I to follow Jesus? Are we too comfortable with comfortable American suburban Christianity, all we want is comfort without suffering. All we want is just our oh, blessings without following Jesus. Cost of discipleship will cost you. I made this first point as cost of discipleship because actually it is the title of the book, one of my favorite pastor's book. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived during the World War time under a contemporary of Adolf Hitler. In that book, Bonhoeffer, cost, that book is written as a discipleship in German, but when it's translated into English, it's translated as the cost of discipleship, the cost of following. In that book, he distinguishes between cheap grace and costly grace. Listen to what Bonhoeffer says. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. When you just want blessing grace without how much it took cost for Jesus to extend that grace, we are just making Christianity so cheap. Christianity is nothing. It is not about comfort. When you, all you want is that cheap grace that cheapens Christianity. All we want is forgiveness without repentance, forgiveness without confession, comfort without any suffering. And that's not the God we serve. The core of who we are is that we have a suffering servant who came to be born as a helpless babe and he died as a helpless man on the cross. Do you know what Jesus Christ has done for you? But what is then costly grace? Bonhoeffer keeps going and says this. 
costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Church, follow Christ. It will cost you. But there is the true life that we are desperately looking for. What does it cost you to follow Jesus? Why are we so caught up in our reputation that we are so hesitant to say that we are even Christian? I have a friend who literally lost millions of dollars because he was sharing Christ wherever he went. What does it cost you today? Sometimes we talked about it. Giving, we don't give out of margin. We give sacrificially. Jesus Christ did not have ten lives to give. That's why I chose to give one life. He had only one life to give and he gave everything. It's the costly grace. It cost Joseph everything, his reputation, his privilege, his comfort to follow will of God, to marry Mary and to stay with her through that time. What does it cost you? I remember one time when it really costed me. Uh, to, that's the first time I actually really experienced, oh, wow, it cost something for me to follow Jesus. I was only third grader. And you're thinking, yeah, right. What can you possibly cost in third grader? Well, yes, I didn't know much, but bear with me. I was a competitive swimmer when I was third grader. And then I did well in my Providence and regional. So I qualified for a national competition. So what they did in my Providence, they gathered all the national qualifiers in one swim camp. And we trained eight miles a day. Eight miles running is hard enough. Eight miles swimming as a third grader, it was a whole lot. But we are training. We, gotta, we did not even go to school for first two months so that we can train for this national. So we got up at 6, 7 for morning training, to afternoon training, to evening training, a whole lot of training. But after three months, now the national competition is right around the corner. Our coach brings all of us together, national qualifiers, who lived together. We lived in the camp together. About 20 of us. But back then, 20 years ago in Korea, now it's much less. But it really existed and still does actually. Still people practice. Before any big event, they would literally prepare an altar. And then you would bring a bunch of food to put that in the altar. And I kid not. You would put a head of a pig at the center of the altar. And then you put like paper bill in the nostril of the pig to wishing a good luck to whatever the God is out there. And our coach makes us... Now that our time has come, let's prostrate and let's wish you good luck. One by one, all our swim camp people are prostrating at this pig head. I'm a, I got to know Christ in my young age. And something's deeply not right within me. But that culture is hostile culture. Korean athletic culture is very hostile, violent. I am so afraid right now. God, what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to bow at this pig head. But it's going to cost me everything. I'm just crying. I don't know what to do. Everyone's bowing, prostrating out, help us to do well in our national. My turn came. I couldn't do it. I just ran. I can't do it. That night, I got beat up. It wasn't easy for me. And I called mom and dad and told them what happened. They pulled me out of the camp next week. Yeah, a few weeks later, I went to national still because I trained for it. But nobody would talk to me anymore. 
Christian, who are you? you? Are you stuck up? You think you are so much better? That was the first time, oh, wow, it cost me something to follow Christ. <laughs> Today, I don't know why I didn't do that back then, but something really bothered me, and I'm glad I didn't. Church, what is it? What, does it cost you anything to follow the will of God today? If we are too comfortable in our places without any cost, check our lives. The one who really understood the cost of following Christ, once again, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor. He was a theologian. Also, he was one of the pastors who stood against Adolf Hitler, his massacre to all people. He was one of the members of this confessing church. While all the churches were following Adolf Hitler, Bonhoeffer said, this is not right. He stood up against that. When the World War II broke out, Bonhoeffer fled to America. I'm like, this is too much. I just want to be comfortable. When he got to America, though, something bothered him. My brothers and sisters are suffering there. What am I doing here? Just 26 days after he got to America, he gets on the last ship that sails to Germany. Soon the oceans closed down because the World War was getting intensified. But he gets on the last ship sailing back to Germany. I'm going to suffer. It's the costly grace. I'm going to suffer with my brothers and sisters and make Jesus known at the time. Does it cost Bonhoeffer? Yes, it does. Later, he's caught. He was trying to rescue Jews from Jew Germany to rescue them. And his plot was caught, so he was imprisoned. And while he was imprisoned, his attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler, that very plot was exposed as well. And now the death is just a matter of time. It's costly grace that Bonhoeffer follows. In 1945, April 8th, the Sunday after Easter, Bonhoeffer, as always, he was even preaching in a prison camp, faithfully preaching, without knowing that that was his last sermon on this earth. He preaches Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter. With his stripes, we are healed. He preached the suffering servant who costed everything to redeem us. And then it cost Bonhoeffer life too. Listen to what prisoner inmate says after that. Bonhoeffer had hardly finished his last prayer when the door opened and two evil-looking men in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready to come with us. Those words, come with us, for all prisoner, they had come to mean one thing only, the scaffold. We bade him goodbye. He drew me aside. This is the end. He said, for me, beginning of life. He died completely surrendering his life to God for his will only. The prisoner doctor, the prison camp doctor witnessed many executions, many people. But he said that he has never seen anything like that. This is what prisoner doctor says who witnessed the Bonhoeffer's execution. He said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows braved and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Church, what does it cost you to follow Jesus today? 
there is cost of discipleship. Of course we are afraid. Of course Joseph was fearful. Of course I am fearful. But true courage is not the absence of fear, but obedience even in the middle of fear. Let me say that one more time. True courage is not the absence of fear, but obedience even in the middle of fear. Will you obey his calling in your life? Secondly, and briefly, what is the cure for our fear then? Look verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What did Jesus come to do? To save us from our sins. He is our savior. Church, following Jesus will cost you this life. But not following Jesus will cost you eternal life. We are no fool who gives up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. As Jim Elliot said, this temporal earth will soon fade. Following Jesus, yes, will be uncomfortable. At times it will be hard. But he came to save us, those who follow Jesus. There is promised life for us. This is not the end. But our God is not, did not only come to save us, but he came to be with us. Read verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sometimes people tell me, Jin, I am praying for you, and I am praying with you. I don't know why I find it so comforting when someone tells me, Jin, I am praying for you and with you. That means, oh, I am not alone. You are joining me in my suffering. You are praying with me. You are standing with me. Our God, Lord and Savior, did not only come to save us, but he came to be with us in his weakest form of humanity. John Wesley is the founder of Methodist Church. He was contemporary of George Whitfield, and he was known to have preached 40,000 sermons in prisons, in streets. Everywhere he went, he preached. And the way he preached was very methodical and organized. That's how the name Methodist came about. But after preaching 40,000 sermons and all, when he died at the age of 88, the last words of John Wesley was this, the best of all is God is with us. At the deathbed, he could not speak much. He raised his arm once again and said, the best of all is God is with us. Church, when you feel like nobody sees you, when you feel like all you feel is fear and terror and afraid, know that our God is with you. You are not alone. In the tears that you shed that no one else sees, when you feel like utterly alone, isolated, am I even seen by others? Yes, our God is with you. He came to be with you in the Garden of Eden. He came to be with us in this season of Advent. And he will be with us permanently when he comes back once again. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Church, while Jesus Christ promised us that he will be with us, do you know that God the Father was not with Jesus when he was hung on the cross? Our sin was completely laid on him. And all Jesus knew, the ultimate inner circle, now he had to endure the complete separation from the Father because of our sin. God turns it away. 
And Jesus was forsaken because of our sins. So that when we feel like we are walking everything alone, Jen, because I was forsaken, I will never forsake you. I bore all your sin. I am with you today. That Emmanuel is possible. God was with us. God is with us because God himself was forsaken. That we are not alone in our agony and in our sorrows. Church, do you know what Jesus Christ has done for you? Yes, following Jesus will cost you. If it doesn't cost you any, check your life. Yet even if following Jesus will cost you, it will give you the true life that we are desperately longing for today. Throughout the church history, yes, Advent, this season has been celebrated in remembering first coming of Jesus. But actually, even more than remembering first coming of Jesus, it has always been celebrated in anticipation of his second coming. Listen to the lyrics of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. He has come to save us, but he will come once again for all. He was with us, he is with us now, and then he will be with us forever and evermore. Because incarnate Son of God came and died and bled for us. God with us, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Oh God, the cure for our fear is that, yes, your presence is with us, Emmanuel. God, you came to be with us in our hopeless and helpless estate. Oh God, help us to look to you in our fear. We are afraid. We are lonely. Oftentimes we feel like nobody sees us. But may your presence allow us to look to you. And, oh, God, this life may be costly, but, oh, Lord, help us to not lose hope because it costed everything for you to redeem us. Now we give our lives to you out of joy, out of gratitude, all because of what you've done. And now as a people of God, we say, come, come soon, dear Lord Jesus. Once again, make Emmanuel happen once for all permanently. Until that day, we sing Emmanuel, come. Come soon, dear Lord Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen.